HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Southern Teague. Hey, Southern. Hey, buddy. What's up, buddy? Not too much. How are you? I'm great, man. Real good. I'm, I'm excellent. Excellent. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. There's a lot of inside jokes here. Okay. That was a that was a messed up day. Sorry about that. What happened? Sorry, Jane Danger. Um, I told her I was going to call you. And a couple of my bartenders. Wait, what happened? In a, hey, we're getting there. Uh, man, Dave, Monday, relax. It was a... It was it was a long day. It was a ex, it was an excellent day. Um, it was just a bunch of drunken shenanigans on Monday. Uh, a friend of mine, bar owner up in New Hampshire, eight one five bar in Manchester. She came down, and then two of my bartenders we all met up and went to lunch at Keens. Yeah, had some steaks, some mutton chops, of course, 
as you do on a Monday. <laughs> as one does. Around three it's the holiday time. Yeah, why not? Yeah. And then about the Nomad, a bunch of other places. Well, the thing is at Keen's Trap House, for those of you who don't know, um, if you go into the bar room, like the main bar room, um, they have hard-boiled eggs on the bar, like yeah. in a stand, and you just like crack them open and put salt and pepper on them. Anyway, one of the bartenders just filled his pockets with hard-boiled eggs, so he started doing boomerangs to all these bars with hard-boiled eggs. Went by Maury Margo, saw Max, gave yeah. him one. You got one. And then we were at Mother of Pearl next door, and uh, something happened where one of them fell into one of the candle like votives, and like, <laughs> and then it got left there. I, anyway, Jane texted me yesterday, and she was like, are you mad at me or something? Like, why are you leaving eggs? Anyway, it's not, you had to be there. It's one of those moments. All right, well. One of those. Sounds anyway. like an, an excellent It was a great day. An excellent story. <laughs> it was. It was an excellent time. Um, <laughs> don't forget. <laughs> don't forget that. Well, there are pearls of vegan place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So they were very confused by the egg. <laughs> they didn't know what was going on. Oh, man. Now right. I feel terrible. No, I don't feel terrible. I it's forgot fine. about that part. It's fine. Holiday shenanigans. <clears throat> Sounds oh. like everybody had a great time. Yeah. It was, I mean, except for Mother of Pearl. <laughs> they had a great time, too. Okay. As, you know, I owe them as some, I say all the time. I owe them some hummus or something. Uh, sure. <laughs> as I say all the time, you know... Um, Every uh, the bulk of what we do is 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 about story storytelling. So you know it's just another story now, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'll get I'll get further details from her, but she definitely <laughs> reached out to me and was like, "What's up with this egg situation?" <laughs> I was like, "I have no idea." I'll ask him on the show. Anyway, <laughs> it's all go good. buy all those places. Yeah, <laughs> go to Keens. Go to Keens. Go to Keens after some eggs. you go to Mother of Pearl. <laughs> the travel. <laughs> <laughs> what was... are you doing in there? Dude. That was Stop weird. It. <laughs> you, you, you want to make an omelet, you got to break a couple of eggs. Ah, jeez. Eh? Uh, nobody said anything about omelets. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, let's let's get into the show, man. Why not? Um, actually, it's a really uh, kind of serendipitous uh, uh, as far as timing goes. So, uh, the last time our guest was on the show was six years ago. Almost tomorrow. Day. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty amazing. That is amazing. And they just celebrated their six-year anniversary um, we've got Alan Katz of New York Distilling Company. Welcome and, to the show. The it's champion. good to be back. Yeah, yeah. It only took six years. <laughs> only took six years. I so nothing for, really has happened since. <laughs> the then, distillery right? is only uh, three stops away on the L train. <laughs> it's good to be here. Yeah, good to have you back. So, yeah. So it's catch so up. that's pretty cool that you were on the show right about the time. I mean, that you started right when you started. It was, and what's interesting is, well, we we started making gins and rye whiskeys essentially day one, but we've only been focused on selling the gins up until recently. We've had these whiskey stocks that we mm-hmm. keep making, keep putting down, and uh, although we released a little bit last year in, in 2016, we've, we've only been selling Ragtime Rye in earnest for about the last eight, nine months. So it's taken really that long for us to develop a nice aging stock and be able to pick and choose barrels to blend from and have uh, a real a real whiskey product. Yeah. I mean, you were aging some in Brooklyn, some upstate. Yep. You were you're experimenting with all kinds of different things. You were doing some, some Applejack also in there, thrown in the mix. I mean, it's a, it's a distillery. It's not like... Yeah, let's talk about it's NYDC not, real it's quick. It's not New York whiskey distillery. It's New York Distilling Company. You know, <laughs> yeah. you've... you've You've got the accessibility and capability to do any of it. 
any of these things. Right? For the most part, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the nimbleness of all these little craft, or my preferred term, boutique distilleries, is you know, we can pick and choose. We can mm-hmm. make mistakes and say, yeah, you know, I didn't really like that. Let's dump that and uh, try many, something else. How many times punch. have you dumped anything? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It goes in the punch. <laughs> it goes in the punch. Uh, <laughs> Nothing gets dumped. <laughs> We've dumped a few things. That, really? Yeah, you bet. You, you bet. invite us over on those days. <laughs> um, well, I hope they're I, few and far between, but if, if they are, you invite us over. Look, it's not without trying to find some marketplace sure. for it first. If there's someone who's interested, I could give you a few examples. I won't necessarily tell you where it ended up, uh, <laughs> but but we've had some very over-extracted aged gin. Mm-hmm. And in the universe, or on this planet at least, there happens to be a market for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not here in New York. I'm not sure it's here in the United States, but there is a market for it. And uh, when I say dump it, it doesn't always mean put it down the sewer. It might mean put it in a tote and hold on to it for another day because you never know. There have been a few things where you're just not satisfied with the end result and say, okay, this is never going to go out into the public realm. But a few things, and particularly learning about aging, what's going to happen on a first fill barrel compared to a fifth, sixth, seventh uh, is a really interesting thing, and it only comes with experience and time. And time—that's the bigger one. It's time. Mm-hmm. I mean, are some of these products something that can benefit from just like conditioning and like stainless steel or in the bottle? That's a good question too. I would say we have filled to date over the last six years around two thousand full-size or fifty-three gallon barrels. I have tasted almost all of them. Not all of them, but almost all of them. And of those that I've tasted, I would call one off. Mm. It's the funk barrel. And it's not necessarily bad, but it's not, it's not to my liking in any respect. And we're not dumping it, but, but we, we'll try different things. We might top it off, uh, fill it with some new make, maybe put it in a new barrel and almost let it start from scratch or get the influence yeah. Uh, from scratch of a, a new barrel with all the tannin in the char. Are, aren't there certain like certain distilleries that kind of find virtue in those like funk barrels? Is that like I know like Wild Turkey is one of them. Like they have certain barrels that they find to be like oh, it's kind of weird. It's like kind of funky, but then they they it's almost like a like a like endearing to them. You know, I think they do. You know, for them, one they've got the longevity and the pedigree. Sure. They fill. They got like two thousand. They fill in a day, day, whatever. (laughs) Doing maybe in a year, probably more than that, uh, which is great. You've got a lot to pick and choose from, and far more warehouses. One of the more interesting things that's happened over this course of time is having three different aging facilities, all uh, in different directions, all with different ventilation, a couple with different heights, and the barrels coming out of these places are really significantly different if you want to talk about the nuance of flavor, character, taking the same barrel of the same age, of the same mash bill, even filled in the same month, which people don't always think about. But, you know, we're trying to get a minimum of four summers before we even entertain uh, dumping the barrels for blending our whiskey. Uh, But we'll look at that and say, wow, we've got one space that really has no ventilation at all. It's all tin. Uh, there's not a lot of natural light that comes into the space. Uh, you know, a lot of cobwebs and critters in there. You know, when the lights are out, and uh, their staff, their staff, exactly. Yeah. They can take what they want, what they need, I should say. <laughs> and uh, you know, the barrels that are from pulled from there compared to what would be considered a more traditional rack house or warehouse, where you've got 
windows and certainly cross ventilation and a lot of air between the racks. Mm. You know, very different characteristics. And so we've just started to, to be able to entertain what some of those differences are to almost pick and choose what we want our rye whiskey to taste like. The, the, the whiskey that we released last year, if you will, Ragtime Rye 1.0 was dead on three-year-old rye whiskey. The rye whiskey in the bottle that we've got today is a blend of three, four, and five-year-old ryes simply because we've got enough stock, barrel stock, to be able to pick and choose and say, now that's interesting. Yes, you still get you know, some nuance, some interesting character and nuance from a three-year-old barrel that is more than just wood. Simple goal. New whiskey that's more than taste of and smells of just wood. Uh, so a little bit of cherry or apricot. Uh, and then we go to the four- and five-year-old barrels, and you get even more interesting nuance, some interesting depth of flavor. That's, to me, where some of the caramel starts to come in, uh, and, and even some tropical fruit sometimes if you're out on that outer plane or that outer orbit. Uh, and so to be able to pick and choose and have enough to, to be able to play with percentages is a real treat at this point. Very cool. Who's doing the blending? Are you are you the blender? I am the blender. Yeah. <laughs> and where, where the where, buck stops here. Yeah. You, uh, so, yeah. Let's touch on that real fast before <clears> we get too deep into my next question about you being the blender. But NYDC, you started it yourself. Well, now I've got some partners in the business. Sh- sure, but you're like the you're the muscle. You're the you're the muscle and the face. You're yeah, there and you're actually doing it. I you know cleaned the bathrooms this morning. <laughs> <laughs> when I go back, we'll be tasting blends of the next bottling of Ragtime Rye. Right. So where did you then get your experience and have enough faith in that experience to say to yourself, I'm going to be the guy who yeah. tastes these barrels and, and then blends them together? It's a great question. I feel like that's a huge leap. It's a leap. great question. I, you know, my stock line six years ago was, I know what I'm doing, but I've never done it before. And so where, <laughs> did, I get, where did I get the knowledge or experience? Right, it's all theoretical uh, now. It's practice. Well, some of it was theoretical, and some of it was at the really good graces of some industry stalwarts. I was able to hang around Plymouth. Uh, gin distillery a few times and uh, become friends specifically with Sean Harrison, Mm -hmm. uh, truly the master distiller there. And um, for whatever reason, he he put up with my nonsense and uh, would always allow me to hang around, ask questions, email questions. When he comes through town, he says, hey, I'm coming through town. You got anything interesting to look at? And, um, you know, that's something unique about our industry is, you know, people with, with that level of experience uh, I think really get a kick out of the size and scale of what we're working on and bringing something original to the marketplace, something that you know, I'd like to say is purposefully different. It's very usable, not so esoteric that a bartender or someone at home can't figure out what to do with it and have a good time with it, but it's got a different point of view. And, and if you're making uh, a tried and true brand, whether it's Plymouth or Beefeater or Tank Array, et cetera, uh, or wild turkey, you know, you're you're preserving, by and large, uh, what's been around for at the very least several generations. Right. So I think just that idea of one manufacturing, two the gumption to start one of these things from scratch, and and probably most importantly the fun of creating an original spirit. I think it's a real rise out of some of these. Uh, guys, men, and a few women, too, that are in these positions as master distillers to say, yeah, let's help these folks out. So Sean Harrison was one for me, and then the other uh, was Parker Beam. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously uh, now passed away, deceased, but, you know, he was, he became a, a really great friend. Uh, he's a contemporary of my dad's, and um, 
he was a master distiller at Heaven Hill mm -hmm. for a long, long time, 50 years plus, I believe, that he had worked at Heaven Hill Distilleries. And again, he would let me hang around and uh, was an exceedingly patient man. And any questions I had, usually my questions were about, what do you do when something goes wrong or what could go wrong? And, and I just started keeping notes on, on those types of things. Uh, and then in earnest, uh, when we got up and running, uh, people who became fast friends very quickly, but also business partners, quite honestly, were the folks at Black Dirt Distillery up in Orange County, New York, about yeah. 90 minutes north of New York City, and um, put in good time on there still, a much smaller still, pot still, uh, than the one we have in Brooklyn. But it gave us opportunity to fool around, make mistakes without any significant consequences before choosing our equipment, installing it, and, and getting to real work on our own. Right. Well, I feel like it's probably... You know, given the nature of, 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 especially in the whiskey world, where where time is, is 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 one of the main ingredients, you know, even somebody like like Parker who'd been doing this for fifty years, he he can't gather all the things, right? So I feel like when you reach out to these guys, it seems to me that they'd be willing to to come back and help you out and teach you because you know teaching is learning. It shows them yeah, an opportunity to see something that maybe they haven't seen. Even in that fifty year sure. history, there's things that you know. You just don't get to see everything. And so. on the whiskey side, and I, I love bourbon. I drink a lot of bourbon. We sell a good amount of bourbon at our bar. Um, but I always wanted to make rye whiskey. Ever since this thought sort of found its way in between my ears, I wanted to make rye whiskey. And so to go down to Kentucky in particular, and you know, we played around. We you know played at Maker's Mark a bit, and and uh, a little bit at Wild Turkey with Jimmy and Eddie Russell. But uh, it was Parker who said, "Yeah, you want to come distill? Watch what we do." See it from start to finish. How we, you know, they're taking samples at every at every turn, from the time the grain truck pulls up till the time, you know, right before it's in the bottle. Uh, and and he was, as I said, just exceedingly generous, and I think in part interested because uh, they make Rittenhouse rye, of course, and uh, you know they were just starting to see this in their minds peculiar interest in rye whiskey, and they're smart people at Heaven Hill in particular. Uh, and uh, when I said I want to make rye whiskey, hey, we're not making bourbon, and we're going to make rye whiskey from rye grown in New York State. I think they might have found it a little cute, but I think they were genuinely interested in in what the interest in rye might turn into in the future. When you started, uh, you started with gins, which is, you, but you just said you wanted to make rye, but you can't you can't just open a distillery and make rye. It just takes too long. It'd be too much going into barrels. We barrel can't sell sitting. rye. Exactly. We started making rye. Right, exactly. But week you can't. One, but we we didn't sell it until you wouldn't have made a living in between yeah. that the, the, the six years that have gone by. Correct. You need to get something that's bottleable and yeah. sellable so that you can get you know. So this is a pretty common practice. What made you choose gin over say vodka, which I think is a more common. Yeah, I, I can't compete in vodka in any number of ways. I I can't afford to market it. Uh, you know, our marketing budget is. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice uh, round number. You know, our marketing budget is really the fact that we've got a bar, the shanty attached to the distillery. So sure. whether it's a slow Monday or a jamming Saturday, uh, the people that come in, and no one's forcing them to drink our products either, but they can see through the glass window something interesting that involves the manufacture of alcohol, and, and that's our marketing. So if we get a few hundred people through our space in a week, at least they know what's going on there, and maybe they tell a few friends in a very traditional way. But but because of that, uh, you know, vodka takes a lot of marketing. And, and two, there's enough vodka, at least that's appreciated at a consumer level or a, a bartender level, that's really, it's not inexpensive, it's cheap. 
and uh, I can't compete on that level at our scale of production costs. Sure. And we're we're pretty committed to to anything that we might be able to make that's derived from New York State agriculture. That we want to look into that first, and you know we've entertained it a few times. Hey, what if we made a New York corn vodka? And I, I you know. I still can't come up with a way to make it truly interesting. Yeah, it could be organic, or maybe we would distill it at two different distilleries, start it on a column still, and finish it on a pot still, and maybe there'd be some interesting flavors, or maybe it would be... But also, how how often do you order a vodka drink, personally? I'll tell you this, I ordered one this year. So, yeah, why would you make <laughs> vodka? It, I mean, like, was it yeah, memorable? You know I, mean? like, well, I, why, yeah. I wouldn't trust anyone making yeah. a product that they... Aren't sure. like fully into. Yeah, I mean, look at the time, and you know, we were all probably around at the same time. Of there's a lot of ways to make money. Is of what I'm cocktail saying. Yeah. interest, it was just that. Hey, you know, I'd say this: most of all, of all the reasons to make gin is you can make it, and it can be originally yours. Mm-hmm. Vodkas is, you know, and a lot of other things hard to really discern. Wow, now that's your own point of view. Same thing with you know why we make the rye whiskey the way we do. But you know, the two gins that we make, I think, are unique in their own right. There's nothing else like it. You know, a typical consumer banter is, well, what do you compare it to? Well, politely, I don't compare it to anything else because it's its own recipe. It would be silly for me to make a gin as much as I love, for example, Plymouth, that tastes like Plymouth. It already exists. Right. So that's the fun of being able to create it from its origin. At this point, the creative part's over. We're just trying to make it as consistently as possible. And and your gins are... They are. I, I mean, I know when I'm drinking uh, Dorothy Parker yeah. or Perry Stott because they are extremely aromatic. Correct. You know, and I love that. I love that you guys have the the pink gin at the shanty yeah, yeah. because yeah. it makes so much sense yeah. for for those gins. Yeah, like, I agree. For big aromatic gin. Big yeah. ass aromatic gins. They're bold. <laughs> I mean, like I, first thing I did with those gins was like I threw it in a crony. I'm like, all right, it needs to like have like some. Some big bowl of bitters going with it, and Absolutely. you know, like a big vermouth. Like it's, it's cool. It's like, it's <laughs> you know, like legitimately delicious. And I get you guys do put a little bit of Campari in your pink gin, right? We do. Our our yeah. pink gin at the bar is Dorothy Parker, Campari, and Angostura. Yeah, cool. We want it to be pink. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, like you're like parked next to a fire. Uh, fire stations, <laughs> like hey, your insurance has got to be pretty low. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yes and no. You got but these but bold, it, bold Brooklyn vibes. They, you know? they are good friends. They just had their holiday party in the distillery. Uh, no stories to be told here, but it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. Uh, speaking of good times, we're having one right now. We're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Uh, when we come back, we've got two bottles of uh, Ragtime Rye sitting here on the table to taste. Well, three actually total. Um, so we're going to come back with Alan Katz from NYDC in the Shanty. We'll be right back. I don't go in for understanding when you are away. Can't use my heart to think away the time. In my room I will await you, and so soon I will relate you. And tie your finger right on up to mine. Sweet Josephine, you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. 
George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. I'm not one for consolation, never second best. I'll practice till I get you right, my dear. So know that I will love you and my heart sings Oh, you're pouring all three. And we are back. <laughs> That's we're a hell of a way to come back Yeah, in. we're pouring whiskey. We're, we're very distracted. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> you guys are supposed to be professionals. Come on. <laughs> Not this show. Not now. Not never. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were talking about your uh, feeling before the show and Ragtime Ryan, where they came from. But uh, it's important to note that before you uh, started your distilling company, you were in spirits education with Southern Wine and Spirits. I still do. I still am. And you still and are. Okay. I, it's great. It's, it's, it's really been a nice uh, creative partnership, if you will, from, from my work uh, with Southern and as uh, Southern's grown and provided me opportunities, not just to have the distillery, but really outlets to not only teach, but as we were talking about before the show started, you know, anytime you're teaching something is an opportunity to learn and to travel and see other distilleries and talk to other people. You know, it's, it's fun traveling always, just seeing what other people are up to and the different taste buds. I remember doing a, um, a rye whiskey road show, and we had maybe... 10 rye whiskeys in the bunch and this is going back probably close to 10 years and we went obviously we did a thing in new york we went to boston we went to dc chicago san francisco uh i think we went to kansas city as well and it was fascinating it was all blind tastings and they're just the reactions from different parts of the country in boston they liked a sweeter profile on rye whiskey in new york it was a bolder punchier rye on the west coast they liked lower proof rye and it was almost to a person and Male, female, too. It was a fascinating, uh, unscientific, but focused study on You were doing how... some, like, beta work for... I was doing beta work. That's amazing. You bet. Wow. Was it, did it, was it all American rice? Or did all it American rice. Okay. That's what we call rye whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh... <laughs> sure. so, it was all American rice, yes. I remember meeting... So it's weird that you were doing beta <laughs> for that during that time. But I met you when I was uh, bartending at Gray's. Oh, my God. Remember that joint? Yeah. And we had this just a metric <laughs> shit ton of gin on that bar. And you came in and talked to us about gin. I, I remember that, too. That's too funny. Yeah, that's some time ago. So so you were, you were already digging deep into your own personal education while educating other people. Well, that's the way to take advantage of life, I tell you. Yeah, makes sense. I don't call it a job or a career. It's, it's just good fun. It's good work. It's work. Yeah, good work if you can get it. Yeah. Speaking of good work, we've got something to do right here on the table. Let's talk about the rye. Let's do it. <clears throat> so you poured us three different expressions I, I here. You three different things again in the, in the cool. fun of work. Uh, the first is, if you will, what I, I hope will be our flagship in time as people come to experience it and get to know it. And this is ragtime rye. And as I was saying uh, before the break, what we're bottling now is a blend of three to five year rye whiskey. So the base is three. And and to be honest, my hope is. Uh, if calculations are somewhere near accurate, that by this coming spring, uh, by May or June, 
uh, that that'll go from three to five to just four and five year old rye whiskey. And I'm not in the minority, I don't believe, but I, I am a big proponent of of full size barrels. Uh, and again, those are 53 gallon barrels that we use uh, at a char level of number three, if that's relevant. Um, but also time. And and not everybody agrees. You know, there's a lot of people using smaller barrels or putting out younger whiskey. And to me, it's not that that whiskey is bad. It just it, it doesn't, for me, really get past that level well, Like you of said before, wood. this is your this uh, is your recipe. This correct. Is built around your palate and so, your experience. So, so it if should you, be unique to you. If you want to taste that first one. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring enough glasses, so Alan's just drinking out of the bottle. Like, <laughs> like a boss. It's not the first time. Um, and I hate putting words in people's mouths or, or what you think of it or what you taste. But again, for me, it's just it's a simple fact. There's more than just wood there. Sure, there's some sweetness there. <clears throat> I'm getting like a sweet tea vibe. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Right. Tea like quality on the palate. Yeah. I'm a little uh, stuffy, but my nose is getting um, kind of grassy. Yeah, kind of green. Yeah. Well, green this, grass this is this is 72 percent rye green and, grass and uh, sweet tea. All the rye, as I said, is grown uh, up in the Finger Lakes up mm-hmm. near Seneca Lake. Uh, between Syracuse and Rochester, and uh, we work with a great farmer up there, Rick Peterson, and he's done some really interesting work with us. I hate to say for us because we really feel like he's a partner in our business because without him, the point of views on these whiskeys would be significantly different, and we've got some, I almost call them 12 to 15-year projects uh, that were really initiated by us together. Uh, One, which... We've started tasting barrels, but probably won't see the public light of day for another three years at least. We started seven years ago growing a, a, a heritage variety of rye called Horton Rye, where once upon a time in Rye, New York, there was a family of farmers by the name of Horton, and um, lo and behold, they named a variety after themselves. And, um, you know, you got to do tests on it. We were gifted from a seed bank 10 seeds eight years ago. We started doing tests on it seven years ago. Give you some context, you need about a million seeds per acre just to have enough to start mashing and fermenting and then distilling. And you started with 10? We started with 10 seeds. What's the factor of how (laughs) fast you can get more seeds? Well, you know, you're harvesting. 10 gets you 1,000, 1,000 gets you 10,000, 100,000, maybe close to a million after that. And um, five generations, five generations, but but right now, and and hopefully ongoing, we've got uh, essentially a perpetual uh, rotating crop of 50 acres of Horton rye. Amazing, and and that'll be ours, you know. You know, someone else, I guess, could go get 10 seeds and start from scratch on it, but um, you know, we'll fill That's amazing, a, doesn't seem likely. We'll, we'll uh, fill that a, is amazing a couple hundred <laughs> barrels of that a year. Not banking on anything, but sort of hoping in, in earnest that there's something unique just about this single variety of rye, not hybridized in any way. Single variety. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, back to the flagship, you know, it's just this is, you know, a real whiskey for real times, and it's got a rye focus. That's some of that grassiness or yeah. that spiciness to it. But, you know, when I mix with it, and I make a lot of Manhattans with it or simple old fashions with it, a lot of the fruit comes out, you know, mm-hmm. even once you drop an ice cube in, like a lot of spirits. Sure. Um, so, as I said, sometimes a little peach or, or dark cherry, but it finishes really with a lot of bold rye, which I like a lot, too. What's the, what's, what's the ABV? This is uh, 45.2% mm. alcohol, just yeah. to be cheeky about it. <laughs> Why not? Well, cool. it's 90.4 proof simply because four is my lucky number. 
Right. <laughs> Very cool. I, Se- I seems to be working out. <laughs> well, what, you got a, some some insight on the name Ragtime? Yeah, I'm I'm I've named I think all of our products but one. Uh, Dave Wandrich named Chief Gowanus New Netherland Gin, but <laughs> otherwise uh, these are names uh, primarily that I've come up with and worked with my partners on, of course. And for Ragtime, you know, obviously I like the alliteration of it, Ragtime Rye Whiskey. But uh, I was a big music fan. I still am a big music fan. I like the, you know, ultimately... I've heard you sing. Yeah, it's just not New York-centric, but, you know, precursor <laughs> to jazz. Appreciate it. And uh, <laughs> no names, please. Uh, you know, the rise of rye whiskey as a cocktail spirit almost parallels sort of the brief blip on the history of music scale where ragtime rye fits in. Late, late 19th century... Uh, early 20th century, and then ragtime sort of splinters off into a few other styles, jazz among them. But uh, I like that bit of Americana, that we're we're trying to revitalize an interesting, resoundingly American spirit, and ragtime is a resoundingly American genre of music. I love it. It's great. Very cool. Um, also, uh, I think it's worth noting that you recently went through a packaging change. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes, we yeah, did. Yeah, it's a handsome bottle. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> this great. was uh, I've never done anything like this before. We used to have a, a stock bottle. It was just a flat bottom uh, Bordeaux by, uh, bottle, wine bottle. And, um, man, they were cheap, too. I tell you, it was great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we really felt, really for two prominent reasons. One, on a retail shelf. And two, of all the things that I thought I knew, man, I dropped the ball on my knowledge of exporting to Europe. Mm-hmm. And they don't take 750s. They take 700 mm-hmm. mil and one liter bottles. And we did come up with, I could call it a solution, a bottle that we did sell in the UK and in Europe. And we've got some great partners over there. And man, our bottle just didn't match up to what was in the bottle or the efforts that people were wanting to put in on our behalf to try and sell our juice. And so about two years ago, we said, okay, as we approach the timing of having a lot or, or really the, the mainstay of, of rye whiskey to start bottling, let's start working on and put a big chunk of change aside mm. uh, to focus on a, a bottle that we can in earnest launch ragtime rye with and transition uh, across the gins as well to, to this new bottle. It looks great. Thank it you. Great. Thank you. It was a fun project. I mean, it, it, it's it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. Right. It took us 19 months from first meeting Jeez. to putting it out into the universe, um, and I'm I'm very happy with it. And it's it's still you know from my background, very bartender friendly, easy to use. Sure. Uh, you know, speed pour fits in just right. But but again, it's it can it can go up on a retail shelf and stand up with any product now. This could the bottom of the bottle looks like a handsome. Old-fashioned glass, yeah, frankly. Yeah. You could take a glass cutter. And then the top of it sort of almost looks like a nice coupe. <laughs> not kidding. That's, you got a nice it. Nice observation. Um, I, you know, on. I'm trying to pay attention to design because of you. You're right. We talk to, we talk to makers all week. the time uh, on the show about the, what, what efforts they put into design of bottle and label and the returns that they feel that they get from that, and it's incredible. I feel like having a, like a stock bottle... Versus a custom bottle is like the difference between renting and owning a house. Wow. Sure, you know, like when you renting when you and have, owning a tuxedo, you know, when, like when you have, yeah, like <laughs> when you have your like your custom made bottle, it's like, all right, this is like official, this is happening, like right. this is mine. 
this is it. Yeah, not you know? just what's in it, but the vessel itself is mine. Yeah. yeah. It's like I like to talk about it's, it all the time. Think outside the glass, you know? Yeah. Uh, What's well, a very handsome bottle. Um, and so you've got a second bottle in your hand now. I do. This is the bottle in your second glass is Ragtime Rye. And then we take that whiskey and put it in uh, a once-used Applejack barrel. And as is I this said, from Black Dirt? This is from Black Dirt. So our, our good buddies, our partners up there, and they make a delicious Applejack. And, uh, you know, it's sort of nascent, a little even cheesy, I would say, this sort of nascent trend of secondary barrel finish. See a lot of nice whiskeys finished in port casks and sherry casks and vermouth casks. And I didn't want to repeat something that's been already done. Uh, we've, we are experimenting uh, with casks that we fill with rye whiskey. And then we send them over to the Brooklyn Brewery. And they finish a beer in them. And then we bring them back. And we put whiskey in them and we'll see what happens. But but this seemed like a no-brainer of a New York sensibility. Yeah, exactly. New York, New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's very regional. And... and and what's interesting, and, and the fun thing about playing with these whiskeys is not just making them, but we get to play around with where the proof might lie and, and the ABV. And this is at 100 proof, so 50% alcohol. and um, Not, not 50.2 to get that no, 4 just, in there? No, just straight up 100 proof. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking for that 4 for you. <laughs> no, it's, it's out of this one. But uh, I just it's fun. It's fun. And you know, for, we just came out with this in a limited edition. Uh, but we've been spending the winter making uh, hot toddies with it. I was going to say, man. Yeah, yeah it's, it's got a very... I'll take a sip here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely like, Even warmer. on the nose, it's got, like, I don't know if it's just the time of year or what's going on, but, no, like, it's, it's got it's got all those aromas. It's there. The it's, yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's Baking a lesson spice. for us. I, I don't have any great experience in secondary barrel finish, so you put it in and say, great, well, it's going to be in there at least 30 days. And after 30 days, you're checking it. Twice a week after that, what's different? What's interesting? What time of year again did you put the whiskey in the barrel? Um, makes all the difference in the world. But you get a little bit of that appley roundness. You taste the whiskey, mm-hmm. but um, but the secondary finish has been interesting because I think it it stands up even at this higher proof at fifty percent sure. alcohol. Um, you know, Manhattan's as well. It's just a fun little subset that hasn't been out there in the public in any way, you know, from other brands. And so we said, okay, we'll launch that and uh, make it a little bit of a, a line extension, most likely a, a seasonal offering Neat. from the distillery. It's delicious. It's yeah. yeah, it's warmer in my chest. It's got some, some you know some fruity background. Actually a little bit of baking spice. So like speaking of like releasing it once a year, it's like kinda of makes sense. Like and also with your other products, like I've you know, like Edinburgh Gin puts out a Christmas gin. Yeah. Uh, Corgi Spirits has a, uh, it's called a Very Merry Gin. And yep. It's like their Christmas gin. It's like something I've been seeing a lot more with like Leather, gins. Leatherby does their autumnal. Right, right, totally. And it's like, this is kind of like your, it's like your Christmas it rye. It is, it's our Christmas <laughs> rye. <laughs> Even the packaging has like exactly right. of, uh, the, the color scheme too. It's funny. I, I agree. Mean, I, I know agree. Souther can't see it, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. Looks great. <laughs> Uh, I'm colorblind. <clears throat> in case you didn't know that, uh, everybody, all the listeners know because I talk about it all the time. Yeah. Um, also about breaking his. So humor. let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, which wasn't as funny as it sounds. Um, <laughs> but it's a great story. It is a great story. Um, but let's talk about that some. I'm always curious about this when I talk to makers that are outside of the southeast United States. The aging process itself, it's different, right? Uh, it's a different oven that we're talking about. It can be. I don't think it's. So far off of, say, being in Kentucky or Tennessee. Yeah, our, our winters are a little bit longer. Uh, 
their summers might be a little bit longer. Maybe there's a little bit more humidity. Um, but I, I don't think it's that drastically different, uh, you know, by, by latitude. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's our own, and that's why you got to rely on your own taste buds and say, great, we've got something here that's got its own perspective. And for us, same as the gins uh, and the whiskeys, we're making cocktails with them. And so where does it sit for, for the rye whiskey? Most simply in a Manhattan. Yeah, we can make old fashions and whiskey sours, but I want to make sure in a drink where you know you're tasting the whiskey that, that those nuances, those unique flavors are going to come through to some degree. And it's not any random spirit, any random whiskey, but it, you can discern that it's our product. Right. It's, it's delicious. It's got a lot of character. And <clears throat> I'm also fascinated by the fact that I don't think I realized until today, when you, when you mentioned it and now I'm looking at the bottle, Everything is New York. In terms of these ingredients? Yeah. Well, so for the primary, let me just be completely forthright. What's in this, in these whiskeys, is a mash bill of rye, corn, and malted barley. Sure. The rye and the corn is all from New York. The malted barley, it depends. Uh. You know, 10 years from now, I would put money on it today, a few nickels anyway, that there will be a barley uh, industry uh, from an agricultural standpoint coming out of New York State with the number of distilleries and the number of breweries that are here, there's a nice demand for it. Up until recently, there hasn't really been a demand. So while there was a tradition uh, up you know, pa- you know, north of Hudson, Hudson Valley for growing malt, uh, 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 growing bar- barley rather, and in some cases malting it, it's been a long time. And so... No supply. Know, no demand equals no supply. It's not just the supply. You know, there's a quality factor. And, you know, it's just not, hey, let's get rye. You're looking for something. Of course. You know, it's like making wine, in my opinion. You know, looking for grapes that have the right amount of stress so that there's, you know, a firm sugar content, uh, a lower level of water content. And, and barley is just another agricultural ingredient that goes into making these whiskeys. And so... One of the questions, getting on the esoteric side of things, but it could be fun, is will there in time be a terroir? And it goes back to your question about you know comparing our climate you know, between here and southeast U.S. from an aging standpoint. Just the same, will there be a terroir from the grains that are grown here in a more northeast climate, much colder winters, uh, a different soil base, a much rockier soil base in upstate New York, than there is in other parts of the country, particularly in Kentucky and Indiana and Missouri, where you know most of the big distilleries are getting their rye and in some cases corn from as well. And time will tell. I don't know, but but that's one of the factors we'll look into when I hope and anticipate that we'll also uh, source barley from New York as well. Got it. Where are you getting it from now? Then it depends. It depends where it's available. You know, sure. it's sometimes it's available. From other states, sometime you know, typically from, from the Midwest is where it's available. But the goal is to make delicious whiskey That's and the goal. potentially use as much of a product as possible. Correct. It's great. Yeah, I mean, they, well, it's you know when you think about like Highland Lowland tequila and stuff like that. I mean, they're not too far from each other, right? But you can actually smell and taste the difference. Correct. Sure. Blind tasting, so it, it would obviously lead you to believe that that would be the same. I mean, like even drinking. Uh, you know, whiskeys from Indiana versus Kentucky. Like, can you taste the difference in them? From it depends. I can't necessarily taste a difference uh, from the grain bill, 
but sometimes I can taste a difference, I think, just from barrel to barrel, if I put two sure. barrels side by side. But um, I think that's something that speaks also to the smaller scale of craft distilling or boutique distilling is we can really create a distinctive point of view barrel to barrel almost um, because, again, this nimbleness of being able to select specific grains. Obviously, there's, there's going to be differences harvest to harvest. We've been doing this for six sure. years. We haven't had any bad harvests yet, but the output changes year to year. We might plant the same amount. Depends on the weather. It really right. does. So this third whiskey that we're having, uh, this is a five-year single and barrel? This is. This is one barrel example. One, just it's single barrel. It does happen to be five years. We just cracked this barrel uh, a few weeks ago on uh, December 5th, exactly, is when we dumped this uh, to oh. celebrate our fifth anniversary. Yeah. And repeal day. And repeal day. And, um, uh, and it was on the spot. Uh, five-year rye. We distilled this five years ago on December 5th, uh, and so we wanted to celebrate a little bit, and it's available at the distillery um, at the bar when you take tours. But but only know, only there, right? Correct. In 200 mil bottles? or can In you 200 it? mil bottles, 200 mil flasks. But, you know, it's an, a fun expression. We did proof it down to our, if you will, a regular rye strength at, at 90.4. But to me, what I love about this at 90.4, which is not, you know, a, a, a meek proof, is it's really it's smooth. Super light. It's really smooth. And so yeah. it excites me further about, you know, what's to come in the future, about having barrels to pick from. And, and maybe we'll have, you know, more single barrel expressions in the future. But but even so, to have this type of whiskey to blend with and to contribute to a backbone and, and interesting point of view is sure. very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is like... This is the most grain forward. I was about to say a lot of grain on this one, and so maybe even grain. like some honey or toffee. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. This is. This just reminds me of like delicious my, my farm in Oklahoma. It's like yeah. just walking through the fields. It's like it's like like I I'm smelling it. I'm tasting it. It's like it's really cool. I mean, I, I don't know if this makes me sound like a, a, a derelict, but it's, it smells very breakfasty to me. I'll take it. Yeah. Grains and yeah. honey. It's like a bowl of oatmeal. Yeah, totally. Right. There's a little mm. graham cracker mm. quality to sure. it. Sure. Oh, yeah. There you yeah. go. Graham. Mm. Without, without the sugar. <laughs> without, yeah. that, without all that nasty sugar. Um, really cool, man. And you brought us a 200 milliliter flask to take home, and I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks if so it much. If it makes it that far. If it makes it that far. <laughs> right? This is beautiful. Beautiful very packaging cool. on this as well, by the way. Way to go. Thank I love you. The, I love the... <laughs> The, the, the label is I, very, I won't take credit. I mean, the, I had to sign off tactile. on things, yeah. but but we had a really wonderful little duo design team, and it's a woman. Her name, of all things, is Lisa Simpson, and, <laughs> and cool. uh, she lives out in Boulder, Colorado. I may never meet Lisa Simpson in person, um, but she did all the design work and continues to do design work for us now. That's amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Man, this has been really awesome catching up with you. Like, I can't believe it's been six, six years. years. I know. Almost to the day. Um, that's... It's incredible, and and look how far it's come. Yeah, I mean, when you were on the show last time, we were, we were the, the rye whiskey was just a, an idea that might work out later on. You know, we were talking about the gin and the shanty opening, and that was it. And now, now you're here, man. It's one, very cool. One Congratulations! Time. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. I really do. Uh, still love going to the shanty fun bar. I've I've had a little too much fun in I there. Say you get into some trouble. <laughs> in a good way, trouble's okay. Yeah. Well, if you burn the place down, well, you can't because the, the fire, fire station. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, definitely go by and check out both New York Distilling Company and the Shanty, nestled 
up there in, in close to Greenpoint in Williamsburg. Um, and uh, yeah, fun bar, fun distillery, good people. It's good Steve, tours. Steven's still there. That's another topic. <laughs> All right, uh, Steven at, is no longer there. Oh, no. Nate left. Steven's gone. Yeah. Well, I, know. If, I guess. You can't tie everybody down forever. That's true. That's you got to let them fly out and do their own thing. Um, let's talk about some you know, businessy stuff. Uh, you got a website or something you want to promote? We do. It's nydistilling.com, and you can find out uh, information about our products, and you can find out about our public tours. The tours are free. And they all have free tastings, so you don't even have to buy a cocktail. Come in, and we just like the opportunity to taste people on our products and see what their facial expression is. And, you know, it's a fun neighborhood. It's funny. One door, the door to the shanty is in Williamsburg. The door to the distillery is in Greenpoint. <laughs> Boy, talk about what a pain in the neck when we first started trying to get mail. But uh, <laughs> that's rich. But we got our mail. It's good. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, and you got a Instagram and stuff like that. It's all NY distilling. Trying to keep it simple Smart. in my middle age because uh, yeah. I don't know how to use any of it. Same. <laughs> <clears throat> so NY distilling. It's Alan Katz. He's been on the air with us today talking about ragtime rye, uh, which is delicious, and we've been tasting some. Uh, upcoming shows include, but are not limited to. Um, we got a. There's a lot going on. Um, We've got uh, John Tebow is coming up. He's going to talk about his artwork and uh, his new book. Rob Morton's going to be here from Critical Mass. Willie Shine from uh, Jägermeister. Um, Maggie Hoffman is going to come on and talk about her book. Sammy Ross is going to come on and talk about Attaboy and all the products go- uh, pro- projects going on all across the country that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Lots of cool stuff coming up on the show. So stay tuned and yeah. check those out. And uh, I, I want to say this also, and not only is it almost to the day uh, that six years ago you came on the show, but uh, the last time you were on the show, it was also our very last show of the year, as is this one. Well, we'll have one, but it won't. It, it'll be we, live from be, the future. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got, so. we got one more coming up, but we won't be actually in here. Right. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. But I do want to say thank you to all of our listeners of and course. everyone who's donated. And we're still taking donations for Heritage Radio Network uh, to keep us on the air and keep us rocking and rolling and drinking rye. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that's it for me, man. I think that's it for me as well. Guys, it was great to have you in the studio today. Uh, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's going to save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues. That's him. It's going to get you some in the end. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.